0: Hello Film Files. Gather around the radio children and uh, adults alike because we're going to talk about movies for the next hour. What movie might you ask? Stick around and find out. And by the way, it sounds like there's a voice missing from the studio tonight. Single tear.
1: Susan incapacitated. Yes. Yeah, can I well, can
0: I do was I... kidnapped.
1: Can I be myself and Stu?
0: Yeah, you can. Who? Which one of us do you think has a better Stu impression?
1: I don't know. I don't have a Stu impression. I know. I've never tried it either. <laughs> well, why can't I be like someone else?
0: Yeah, that's true. Do you want to bring out one of your alter egos?
1: <laughs> there are so many to choose from. Yeah, that's true.
0: Just reach up into the wheelhouse and pull. Maybe you want to be <laughs> Kevin tonight. <laughs> yeah. I don't know.
1: Hello. I'm Kevin. <laughs> oh, we're doing Enter the Dragon. Yes. Spoiler alert.
0: So, I'm Jimmy Malone.
1: I'm Ben Snowden, and there's no Stuart Randolph.
0: (laughs) And this is Movie Show Theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. today was Ben's choice so i'll let him uh say why
1: sure uh enter the dragon's not really the best martial arts movie that i've seen uh, there was a period when i was a teenager where i pretty much like binge watched everything martial arts related in family video so a lot of that was just because of enter the dragon I feel without Enter the Dragon, we wouldn't have a lot of modern action films, or maybe they would exist, but they'd be completely different uh, just by, uh, well, just looking at the martial arts influence alone, you know. And I think, too, if you look a little bit into the film, um, the way that Chinese nationalism is portrayed— in what is pretty much an American film because it has an American director. It had American distribution. It was the first uh, American film where Bruce Lee was using his actual voice. It was actually a really, really big triumph for that country because um, as far as you know, Asian people had been... Portrayed a lot up to that point in film, it wasn't exactly the most flattering depiction. So there are a lot of reasons why I picked that. Uh, I also feel that you know historically it's it's really an important film. Uh, and tragically, you know, after this film, a year later Bruce Lee had died. Even though we had Game of Death in 1978, that wasn't really a Bruce Lee film because he had a stand-in. But we can we can get to that. Yeah, it was he died like what a week <clears throat> before this film was released. Well, I, I he. He was still alive when Enter the Dragon was released. And then in 1973, I'm not sure how long after the release, but it was sometime in 1973 was when he died of that mysterious drug thing. Yeah. Which is, that that seems to still be a gray area.
0: Yeah, it was a uh, bad side effect. But I was happy to see that it wasn't an overdose because that would have really bummed me out. Yeah, and he didn't
1: seem like the type of person who would because... Um, I think a lot of the philosophy that you see in Enter the Dragon and actually the films that came before Enter the Dragon, which it's not very difficult to watch all of Bruce Lee's films, but I have because it's really a handful. Um, it wasn't just necessarily about, you know, endless fighting scenes. What you saw in Enter the Dragon, like when he is um, addressing the student, a lot of it is philosophical. It's almost like a form of Buddhism about, okay, where. Um, we're not fighting to fight. We're just fighting when necessary, mm-hmm. when it's for a good cause. Which is, you know, your classic good versus evil tale. When Han, the I guess you could say, dictator of sorts, the guy who had betrayed Shaolin Temple, uh, comes into the story. He, I, I, I guess I kind of envy him though. He has his own island.
0: It is pretty sweet. There were so many. <laughs> influences just from film alone that i saw composer lalo Schifrin. it was was for, for sure my favorite aspect of this film oh um, that soundtrack is amazing and the soundtrack's amazing it's got you know everything from you know obvious japanese or chinese culture to like spy espionage with that funk, real funk guitar oh, with yeah that, that black blaxploit- like, that funky black exploitation sound and then well
1: you had to with jim kelly who portrays Williams because he's a a cool cat
0: that guy would have been like the stud of the century but I I wanted to play just like 10 seconds of of this wonderful soundtrack that we're talking about (laughs)
1: All day long, there's probably like an extended ten-hour cut on YouTube somewhere.
0: Oh, I'm sure there is. Uh, but yeah, it's just wonderful. You have so many cultural uh, similar, so many <clears throat> cultural characteristics, so many different musical
1: styles, and
0: I don't know. It's it's
1: well, you're like blending me. like what we talked about before. You have a little bit of funk in there. Um, you have like a almost a Chinese backdrop, and then you have a little bit of that spy element too. So it's a little bit of a kaleidoscope of sorts. Mm-hmm. I think Robert Klaus even directed first Jim Kelly feature, which is kind of cool because Robert Klaus was the director of Enter the Dragon. So at the very least, Jim Kelly... Maybe not the best actor in the world, but he sure could roundhouse kick the heck out of something. Uh, yeah, he
0: could. And I'm glad that you made the distinction of not, you know, dedicating yourself as this is the best martial arts film of all time. It's really good, and it showcases some of Bruce Lee's best talent. And I think when anybody talks about martial arts films other than, like, this kind of late resurgence that we've had, Um, people always go to Enter the Dragon instead of like Fists of Fury or 36 Crazy Fists. Iron Monkey. Iron Monkey, yeah.
1: And then there's some older ones, you know. um, It would have come out after Enter the Dragon, but uh, Jackie Chan's, one of his first features, if not his first, Drunken Master. There there was like a, I mean, even before Enter the Dragon, you know, um, just from Asian cinema, not even pinpointing a country, they had a wealth of really great martial arts films. I'm actually getting into... A couple of them, um, I'm not sure if all of them are necessarily, like, 100% martial arts, but I have, from Netflix, Product Placement, uh, on the way, Master of the Flying Guillotine. Um, I have Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. So, I'm excited. Yeah. Because I would never seen those films. Yeah. No, there's
0: definitely um, a lot of the kung fu. Well, some of them, like, recently, I guess we can talk about kung fu, uh, Films Now, martial arts films, not Kung Fu, but uh, The Protector, uh, The Tony Ja um, Ong Bak, are amazing. Yeah, Ong Bak is amazing. And um, The Ip Man. No, his name is Donnie Yen. And it's uh, the story. There's three of them now. And this guy who Donnie Yen is portraying is Bruce Lee's mentor. And so it takes place in 20s China. And, the, I mean, the film is, is beautiful. But the martial arts are stunning. But they're definitely exaggerated to a pretty pretty far degree. I mean, not like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon um, exaggerated, but even in Enter the Dragon, you know, Bruce Lee didn't do his, all his own stunts, and they would cheat just a little bit so that you didn't notice. And so over time, it's like you'd, one movie would challenge the next, and then you have movies like... Um, The Matrix, uh, I mean, I wouldn't really call that a martial arts film, but there's scenes like the fighting scenes, the kung fu scenes. It's like, no, this is not really any sort of...
1: Well, when it's all CGI and it's Neo battling a bunch of fake... Agents, yeah, then that's gone too far.
0: Well, I'm th- I'm thinking when he uh, the whole like I know kung fu show me, it's like, yeah, you're in like some sort of dojo uh temple of sorts, but this isn't really any sort of actual martial arts style, this is just kind of made up by the Wachowski brothers. Well, I
1: think that's that's why Enter the Dragon is legitimate because Bruce Lee did you know pretty much all the fight choreography yeah, the fight yeah. direction whatever you want to call it you know and you can you can tell from the opening scene that it's going to be pretty legitimate because uh, a big difference between a lot of the fighting scenes that were in the 70s and even after the 70s it's more focused on hand to hand combat and maybe it's one person versus two or three not like one person versus a whole army with the shaky fast motion camera so the movie opens pretty beautifully it's it's a martial arts match between uh bruce lee's character which he pretty much plays himself his character is referred to as lee versus a guy some random scrub and boxing gloves and you know the typical black underwear and obviously the scrub gets beaten uh bruce lee backflips over a couple of of monk-like characters and then he pretty much like it immediately launches into you know the plot itself you know you see bruce lee um giving this lesson to a student saying hey kick me and he's saying well you're not supposed to act with rage you're supposed to act with emotional content yeah i just pointed to my temple right there because when you say emotional content that's what you do so even though it's not really horribly a philosophical film he sneaks a little bit In there, you almost get the impression that um, Han, who's obviously the villain, is uh, a guy who betrayed the Shaolin Temple, which Bruce Lee is representing. Once again, we get back to good versus evil. So, uh, what was his name? It was um, Braithwaite? Yeah, Braithwaite, who is kind of this ambassador saying, hey, we, we want you to, while you're at this tournament on Han's Island, to do a little bit of spy work, and, you know, just radio in, even though it kind of... I mean, the, the plot really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they could have just raided this guy's island because it seems like whatever uh, agency that Braithwaite is representing has the power to do that. But then again, if they raided the island, then there wouldn't be any martial arts goodness. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have, you know, uh, Saxon involved, uh Sorry, Saxon's the actor. He played Roper, John Saxon, who may be better known for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. among other films. Um, kind of your typical I'm going to gamble on everything yeah, type he, of character. Yeah, he uh to be it. Yeah. So he, uh, he loses a little bit of money to Bruce Lee in a praying mantis fight on a boat, and it's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: No, I think that there was probably a lot of competition with American cinema, because this was when Bond was first starting to pick up steam quite a bit. And a lot of the movie reminded me, or at least the mannerisms of Han, um, The Man with the Golden Gun is one of my favorite Bonds because it's uh, a, a very primitive showdown at the end between him and this man. And it's very similar to the end of Enter the Dragon, which, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. And they use something like, 1200 mirrors or something like that and you know not only is is uh bruce lee a a phenomenal martial artist but he's really not a bad actor i mean considering this was his first movie uh where he's using his own voice there's a lot at stake here that you have to um factor into your performance in this film i mean you got obviously all of your martial arts, which is like a, a dance, basically, that has to be autopilot. You have, uh, you know, your voice, which you've never demonstrated for the American public before, and you also have this whole world called acting, and you have to convince us that you're this person that's, which, like you said, he's kind of just playing himself, but, you know, I I, I think it would be very difficult to not look at the camera, and different actors have different strategies to avoid looking at the camera. Um but just like in the film style too, they use a lot of first person with the fight scenes,
1: which is really interesting. Um, like the fight between Han and Williams, which it—I can't say that it's my favorite scene. I mean, I'm along the lines of the stereotypical path of I love the the final scene where Han and Lee in battle are battling in the the Hall of Mirrors because there are so many great shots. But my second favorite scene or set of scenes is when. Han is fighting um, with Williams, and they switch back and forth between the first-person perspective. And they also uh, their fight bursts into the psychedelic opium den of sorts, with yeah. like these cackling women who are high on drugs. Um, and I guess that's the first time you realize that Han has the uh, the metal fists mm-hmm. because he'll block punches from Williams, and Williams, you know, looks down on his. Hand and he's wincing. Mm-hmm. Well, plus, their whole exchange is pretty priceless when Williams is like, I think I'm going to go home, hand man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that funky dialogue.
0: I also really think that Han had awkward choices of hands. Like, yeah. first he had the bear claw with spikes in it, that was kind of strange. And then at the end, he attached like a, a butcher, like a, a knife block to his hand. Yeah. Which was really funny. I don't know it if I would have done real that. real
1: aerodynamic, but. No. Um, I would have just stuck with the the metal fists. Yeah, I, I don't think it could get better than
0: the iron fists.
1: But at the very least uh I think Han was a pretty legitimate villain overall. Obviously when they were writing this movie, they were probably looking at spy films, if not James Bond specifically, maybe not to compete, but to at least like pick a different pack. Mm-hmm. Be- because they were adding this martial arts slant to it. So it's like, okay, well, if we combine these two things, it's probably going to be a smash hit because, as far as I know, nobody had really ever done that before. So even though it's really a martial arts film at its core, I mean, pretty much with the plot, it's a spy film because Lee's going in to infiltrate this organization. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So obviously you have to have the reveal with Han, where after you have all these events, you know, um he's trying to convince Roper hey you need to join our organization and there's this big reveal like oh yeah we have these random you know broken down old men and these uh women young women down here in this underground lair who are off their minds on drugs and we throw them into an acid pit. You know, it's cool. Yeah, he we gives away us. a lot. I feel like if I would have been
0: in Roper's position, or in any movie where you know the 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 bad guy reveals everything right before he kills you, usually is how it goes. But he, I mean, he does say I I forget things easily. But I think I would have just probably closed my eyes and stuck my fingers in my ears and just started yelling. La 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 la. Like I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. yeah, this yeah the spy element's really interesting because once they get into it, it is a a fun little plot point but they probably could have taken out that spy element and then just filled in between the lines and just had lee go to this tournament because he was going to go to the tournament anyway but you know maybe the writers thought they saw this formula in america this this spy thing they're like well that's that's working really well that's selling so let's incorporate that somehow but i mean enter the dragon is better than i mean almost all of those bonds i love james bond but uh, they're they're not all engaging in fact there's quite
1: a few that are Terrible, <laughs> I, I will say in my mind. Well, if you took away the spy element, <clears throat> you'd have to take away like uh, the spy guitar. Yeah, brang, brang. that's true. Oh,
0: it's so good too. So, so Lalo Schifrin, I lo- I heard I heard that name before. I used to have the uh, the Golden Eye '64, and he, I know he did the theme for that. So I had to look up on IMDb on some of the stuff that he's been involved in, and this is insane. So he did Bullet from '68, although he was not credited. He did Checks 1138, which was George Lucas's first movie. He did a bunch of shows, Planet of the Apes. Um, did the Starsky and Hutch show from 75 to 76. Okay, so then he did The Sting 2. He did a couple of Bruce Lee films. He did Mission Impossible movie, Money Talks, Rush Hour, Mission Impossible 2, Rush Hour 2, Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible 4, Oh, he also did the very first uh, Amityville horror movies. So he I wouldn't say that he's got like a certain, you know, he's, he's a chameleon composer and, and you can hear him and not necessarily pinpoint, oh, yeah, that's Lalo Schiffer. And I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. But like certain composers, like Thomas Newman and, and Danny Elfman and stuff, you hear two notes and you know, yep, that's them, that's their style. Or um, John Williams, you, that's his style. Uh, but in, when you're watching Enter the Dragon, it's like, God, this guy just nails it. It's perfect. As soon as it was uh, over, I, I wanted the I wanted the score immediately because it does incorporate so many different cultural elements, you know, like we were talking about before. I just I just dig it. I love I love music and movies. That's that always draws me in.
1: Well, it kind of worked well with the characters too because this film has your typical flashback scenes, you know. So you have uh, Roper, the... Uh, addicted gambler on the golf course and then obviously it's gonna boil down into these thugs showing up and telling him he owes money so you obviously need action music for when he fights these thugs on the golf course and then obviously you need to have music for williams and his flashback before he comes to this tournament on the island his flash be his flashback being he's um going into this dojo of sorts that's almost like black pantherish so he's just you know talking to these uh, other guys who are participating in the martial arts whatever hey everything's great i'm leaving all right so obviously he's going to be hassled by the man when he leaves the dojo so the man hassles him so you have to be able to um add a certain extra character the extra character being the score when william's beat down beats down these corrupt cops these jive cops yes these jive turkey cops.
0: In the 70s, every black man has to say jive at some point. That's yeah, like written in the script. Pretty much. But, uh, yeah, I also thought that Roper kind of looked like a mix between uh, Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Maybe I was just in the
1: James Bond mode, but... Could be. But I think that's, that's what adds to the appeal of the film itself and why it was probably a big hit, because... Uh, The cast is so culturally diverse. You know, you have an African-American man. You have, uh, obviously, a a Caucasian man, John Saxon, playing Roper. And then you have Bruce Lee, who is, you know, Chinese but also American at the same time. He He was born in America, but his parents were Chinese, moved back to China, came back to America. So you have a lot of different aspects to the cast itself just when you're watching the film, which is pretty refreshing for that time. I mean... You can even go so far to say that what they did with Lee's sister, who I don't think was ever named, was probably not groundbreaking, but a little bit different because uh, there's a flashback where Lee's sister is in her hometown and the bad men from the tournament, like the previous tournament that had happened three years before, are in town and you get the impression that they're going to do not some not really good things to her, but... What happens is she pretty much beats the crap out of all of them. Lee's sister does, which I really don't know if that would happen so much in 1972. I know at a lot of the films of that period, maybe that's when it was starting to, you know, you were starting to see like this rise in female empowerment. Yeah, she was like roundhouse kicking the crap out of all these supposed martial arts experts. And uh, this goes back to some Asian cultures, if not all of them. But she had O'Hara, who is one of the main henchmen in the film, Hovering over her like he's about to do something bad to her, so she just picks up a shard of glass and she dies honorably instead of facing the alternative. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh wow, that was definitely a different portrayal of women. Even though I guess the film might offset it with the the prostitutes. Yeah, I don't who, know <laughs> who love to
0: throw <laughs> blades in the fruit, which I thought yeah. was the best, a really interesting way of cutting costs. So this movie was made for under a million, which. Even in seventy four, was it seventy three or seventy four?
1: Seventy
0: two. Oh, 72. Even in seventy two, uh, that's 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 pretty impressive, um to be
1: under a million. So I think one thing too, uh, going back to what I was talking about earlier, I was talking about how, you know, uh fight scenes and action scenes from the seventies and, you know, even the eighties up to the early nineties were a little bit different because there wasn't as much CGI. Uh one of the cool shots that they used repeatedly um, would be all the participants in the tournament just training on the island because you knew they were all real people. So you have these sweeping shots of, you know, all these uh, these martial arts. Not all of them are experts. Some of them are equivalent to stormtroopers because they're just there to get their faces roundhouse kicked. But, you know, all these guys in uh, white robes just part- participating in, you know, group exercises. I really liked the shot where um, they had this almost uh, kettle-like or it, it, I guess it resembled a walk of sorts, and they had, like, these hot ashes, and these guys were just, like, chopping into the ashes, then removing their hands, then chopping into the ashes. Yeah. Um, even down to, like, the uh, the footage of O'Hara that they had recovered where he's being hit by boards. Yeah, yeah So he's being yeah. hit by boards, and the board's split in half, and, you know, he has, like, these flaming concrete blocks, and he just chops through them. Ah, uh, this is when Braithwaite's kind of explaining to Lee, "Hey, this is this is your mission if you choose to accept it." Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think the the little details in this film also added up. Like I said before, I don't think it's you know the best martial arts film I've seen, but it certainly influenced probably um, I could say almost every martial arts film that came after it. Yeah, was trying to replicate the success of that formula. This movie
0: that came out in 1973, I'm afraid did, in fact, rip off 1995's Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Because there's an island, there's a tournament on the island. Um, it's a very similar plot, and uh, Goro looks a lot like O'Hara. Does he doesn't he look have like... the same scar, but... Or does Goro
1: look like Bolo?
0: Oh, hashtag Bolo.
1: Yeah. no, I love it... the fact, too, that, you know, Bolo, I mean, that's, that's actually the guy's real name, Bolo Jung. Uh, goes on to be Chong Li in Bloodsport.
0: Yeah, that's where I knew him from. Because he, he's
1: like... He's, he's
0: freakish. He looks CGI. I mean, his yeah. body type with his head is like... There's he's, no way that's He's he he a
1: massive human being, and uh, if you have watched any action movies, he's the equivalent of what we've talked about, of the guy who's like... He's one of those guys where he's just like, man, I've seen this guy in so many movies, but I can't even remember what movies they were. Uh, Bloodsport was probably his defining moment as as Chong Li, but he... I mean. I, he pretty much plays the same character in every film. He's just like this muscle-bound uh, martial artist who doesn't necessarily use a whole lot of martial arts. He just breaks people's necks and snaps their spines. And it's weird that it's rated R, because I don't remember a whole lot of... Uh, it might be the nudity. Swear worry. Oh, yeah, there was a teeny tiny bit. There's really not any swearing, and uh, most of the killing, like, for instance, when... Uh, Bruce Lee has his fight with Ohara and ends up snapping his neck. I mean, it's just a focus on Bruce Lee. He's jumping, and then he uses his feet to snap the guy's neck. You don't really see it. The same thing happens with most of the other deaths, except maybe for, um. well, Han doesn't fare so well. I mean, it's not really horribly graphic, but, you know, Han and and Lee have their epic battle in the hall of mirrors and obviously han has to be impaled by a spear i mean yeah what else could have happened
0: yeah another another cost-cutting measure i noticed they do a lot of that whip camera action when somebody throws a spear and the camera whips to follow the spear but it's actually a cut that you don't really notice because it's going so fast and and then he's actually was on the spear the whole time. But yeah, you, you could wh- you whip the camera towards somebody, and it you, you kind of give the impression that they were just hit with a spear.
1: But you could kind of tell at the end that um, with physics, Han probably could have slowed himself down in reality, because it looks like he almost um, in real time would have just been able to stand there. But with movie physics and the whip camera, obviously he was hit with such tremendous force that he had to. And and he, he wasn't jumping; he was just
0: standing when he got yeah. hit. So I don't I don't really think he would hang like that. But movie magic.
1: Yeah. Oh well. One interesting uh, trivia fact: O'Hara, uh, the actor, he had mishandled the broken bottles because that scene, you know, he's he's pretty much getting whooped by Lee, and he breaks a bottle of water, and it's like, okay, he's going to go at Lee with the bottle, but in reality. They had botched the stunt, or he had, and he actually cut Bruce Lee, I believe, on his hand. Well, the scene that you see where Lee kicks O'Hara and he's knocked back into the two guys, O'Hara actually broke both of his arms from that kick, mm-hmm. uh, which just adds to the Bruce Lee legend. You know, he was wow. he was well known for the Green Hornet, and one legend that I heard really didn't make a whole lot of sense was that Bruce Lee was so fast the camera couldn't capture him. These days, it seems like every single I shouldn't say every single, but a lot of action sequences, you know, if I'm just using um, Avengers Age of Ultron as a point of reference, like the opening scene, while I enjoy the amount of action, a lot of it's not satisfying because I feel like in order to digest the opening action scene fully, because there's so much going on and it's so quick, you know, there's a little bit of shaky camera going on that I'd have to go back and rewatch the scene just to take it all in. One great thing that enter the dragon does is okay this is a lot of hand to hand combat you know so it's just focusing on one character against an opponent if it's not bruce lee beating down a cave full of henchmen yeah that's the exception but you really get a chance to admire the artistry that goes into it you can tell it's not cgi which obviously has its pros and cons, but, you know, it's two real human beings and there's a chance that they're going to hurt each other, which actually did happen. Jackie Chan was in this movie, I think, at three different points as an extra uh, uh, when they're in the underground lair and, you know, Lee's kind of been found out and he's f- fending off all the henchmen. Uh, he had actually hit Jackie Chan in the face mm-hmm. with a nunchuck. Uh, it's one of those tragic things because Bruce Lee said to Jackie Chan, hey you know because i did that you'll be in all my movies after this. Well, he didn't have any movies after that. Right. It's kind of sad. But i guess Jackie Chan eventually found his stardom, so he yeah, figured it he, out.
0: I think he, i think he did, all
1: right. The fashion in this movie i thought was just fascinating
0: or fascinating. Oh, i should have said that the first time. Oh, fascinating. The clothing choices, the bright colors that that um Roper wears on the golf course and Olive Williams uh Clothing styles and and just the way that they blend American culture with Chinese culture and it's just it's it's a really fascinating time that they released this movie because of 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 what, of what was happening.
1: Bruce Lee was highly influential even outside of the film world because he had celebrity clients or a decent amount. I had uh, I had looked it up. There's a couple of different lists on the internet about you know Bruce Lee and. His legend, Um, I'm looking at this list here, among his famous students were celebrities such as Steve McQueen, Joe Lewis, Chuck Norris, James Coburn, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which makes sense because in Game of Death, which was uh, the movie that came out that wasn't really a Bruce Lee film but had some footage of Bruce Lee, uh, there's a pretty solid fight scene between Kareem Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bruce Lee.
0: Yeah, they... uh... And I think Coburn and um, Chuck Norris and Steve McQueen were all at his funeral, which was like twenty five thousand people. But yeah, it, I feel like this isn't such an important film. I guess we should mention too that in in two thousand and four, the Library of Congress accepted this film into the National Film Registry, deeming it culturally important. And I think it really is because, like we have said a couple times, this isn't this isn't the number one. But if you're if you've only seen one, if you're only gonna watch one, this is this is probably the one to watch because there were so many influences because of this movie. You know, there was a lot of of old boy that I saw with some of these fight scenes, and you know, Kill Bill is is I mean, uh, Tarantino is obviously a huge Bruce Lee fan. The influences and inspirations, not just with martial arts films, but with Espionage films, with action films, with I mean, even fashion and and this blood this... sport wouldn't exist without this film.
1: <laughs> Thank Pretty God. much, I mean, I, I believe this film created almost a whole subgenre of martial arts films, even if there can be subgenres. But it's like the whole tournament plot, which has been done to death. But Enter the Dragon made it interesting because it was one of the first ones to do it. Also, one thing worth mentioning uh since i've watched all the bruce lee films and i mentioned chuck norris uh the way of the dragon which was also known as um fist of fury bruce lee in a fighting sequence well not for real obviously but in the film as a character snaps chuck norris's neck so what i'm saying is if bruce lee were still alive today we'd probably be telling a bunch of bruce lee jokes yeah, about, it's true. Rather than Chuck Norris jokes.
0: Well, and speaking of being al- of alive today, he died when he was 32. And so you wonder where this genre would be if he was still around, if he would be, you know, still practicing, if he would have kind of turned into a Chuck Norris or if he would, I mean, I don't imagine him doing that because a lot of his philosophical beliefs in this movie, um you can tell if you know anything anything about Bruce Lee at all, that this is something that he lives in, and he breathes and this is who he is, and a lot of it makes a lot of sense. I, I really, I'm not ready to shave my head and be a Buddhist monk, but there's a lot about Buddhism that I respect and I think is is wonderful, and I think it's, it's spirituality without necessarily religion, and I know that that's kind of a big topic that we're getting onto, but I think it's kind of a, a foreign concept to a lot of people, that somebody can have spirituality and not necessarily go to church and you know, all of that.
1: And it depends too on how you uh, define religion because a lot of people would define religion as, okay, going to a certain place at a certain time, but then you can also view religion as a practice or practices which um, I guess you could say in Buddhism there are a lot of points where they will say, okay, you should do this, you should do that, you should have compassion, but it may not be And this isn't me bad-mouthing Buddhism because I agree with most, if not all of it. Um, It's not set up so that it's a set of orders. Yeah, I know know what you mean. There's like rituals
0: and traditions. Yeah. And and a lot of, I think a lot of those traditions are set up around um, different forms and types of meditation and different people adhere to different types of medication differently. And so, um, no, I, I, I agree. And, I mean, Buddhism is technically a religion. I mean you could call it a a sect or, or whatever but literally speaking it is a religion but it's if you've never read much about uh Buddhism you should because it's really it's really fascinating. Um and this film was uh filmed without this movie was filmed without sound which was really interesting.
1: And uh yeah they over they they dubbed everything after the film. Which
0: is in, which is incredible because Bruce Lee's words are um they dubbed it really well. And um but the sound effects I love the whew, sound effects that never gets old, but some of the it's like every punch, kick, headbutt, where it's kind of the same sound, which is just like two sticks hitting against each other. Which I did some reading about the Enter the Dragon remake. First, it was I'm once again backing away. I know slowly. Ben. Ben. Ben left five minutes ago. No, so Brett Ratner was gonna do it first, and he did the uh, Rush Hour films. Which are yeah, they, I like the first one actually a they, lot. Uh, I, I like the first one a lot. The second and third one just didn't probably need to happen. They wanted money. They did want money. They got it too. The third one, money, money, even,
1: money, money, even, money.
0: even the third one did good. Money. and then he did two his two most recent films.
1: X Men film.
0: He did do an X Men film. That was one of was his that, last ones, and he did Hercules. Was it was that X three? Oh uh, yes. Yeah. So he directed. Oh my gosh. Don't worry, everybody. He's doing Beverly Hills Cop 4. Because yeah. that's that's
1: probably what the world needed.
0: that's what the world needs. He did
1: some Blue Blood. He did X, X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah, that's the one that I like the least out of all of the X-Men films. Go so figure. So there you go. <laughs> there you go.
0: Family Man, Red Dragon, um, and Money Talks. Anyway, so
1: then it went to Spike Lee. There are some projects that I can interest can get interested in because I feel like the original could be expanded upon. One would be, well, the recently probably canceled It remake, which is now supposedly on hiatus because the uh, director and the studio couldn't come to terms (laughs) three weeks before shooting on budget and film location, but there are some films where I can get on board with what you might call a reimagining or remake just because I feel like the first incarnation the film version may not have given the original source material like at the novel complete justice even though people a lot of times are really nostalgic about using it as the example once again like the the mini series that came out i look at it and like i read the book and there is a lot of really great stuff missing and the idea was pretty good which was putting it into two films Mm -hmm. you just have to get the right person who's passionate about it you know like obviously force awakens comes to mind you know you look Mm -hmm. at the the trailer and it's like wow it looks like they're doing this the right way and it looks like you have somebody who's passionate on board if it's just like hey i can tell the studio is remaking this for money i'm not interested or maybe i'll give it a chance on netflix i'm not going to see it in theaters
0: yeah well it seems like with the remake specifically that there's either one of one of two approaches in that you you want me make it a shot for shot remake or they make one that's like a total, like Ben said, reimagining that's which can work. But I remember when the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory came out, and everybody was like, oh, "It's more like the book." No, it's it's following the book, not the original movie. No, that's a shot-for-shot remake of the movie, and in my mind, and I I thought it was terrible. That's just my opinion Boy, he, on it. I mean, it's the same storyline. It's not shot for shot, but I mean, it's the same characters who have the same demise. And I I read the book by Dahl, and I mean, I thought the first one was a pretty fair interpretation
1: but i don't know well here's here's my thing you know obviously with classic films that get remade you obviously well generally have an iconic figure in an iconic role Uh, my question to hollywood would be who could step into bruce lee's shoes the answer is no one no one smith Jaden Smith could do it. Oh no, please! Yeah, in his in his uh, Batman prom outfit. He oh can God, do I it. didn't even see that. Well, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried that, just because I don't know. I, I really don't want to ever step into like an executive board meeting at a studio where they're trying to come up with a way to make some film hip, hip being in quotations, or cool also being in quotations for the modern viewing audience, how they're trying to, you know, instead of make a great film, they're they're probably looking at things from a marketing perspective. They probably have a a pie graph with demographics. Oh, here's what we can do for the female audience. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's what we can do for this group or that group. Instead of just, you know, saying, hey, you know, we have a really pure vision of a remake and we have passionate people on board. It's just like, well, we'll just, can, we'll just get somebody who's going to do what we say. Yeah, like with Enter the Dragon, it's like a lot of other remakes. It's just completely of no use. Yeah,
0: I know. Well, that's why I'm more of a fan of the reboot. Like this, uh, an example would be this new uh, Mad Max, which I have not seen. I want to see it, but it's not a, it's not a remake. It's not a prequel. It's not a sequel. It's just a continuation of this, of this. Most incredible story, which you can't really do that with, with End of the Dragon.
1: I think Mad Max get away with it, too, because it's its own universe. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can do that in the vision still pure because you have the creator on board, which is always a great thing. If you have right. a creator on George board, Miller. I'm going to be more apt to check it out mm-hmm. and give it my time or money. Um, with Enter the Dragon, you know, all the elements we've talked about, like the soundtrack and the fight choreography, and, you know, Bruce Lee nailed so many scenes. Like, my favorite one is um, him showing his more humorous side. It's when he's in this uh, underground lair, and he's captured the the black snake in the sack, and he's waiting outside of that, I guess you could call almost radio studio, whatever you want to call it, and <laughs> he just unleashes this snake and to this little broadcast station and these guys just like freak out and Bruce Lee's just like he has this most casual look on his face like he's waiting and he's a little bit impatient yeah he he, he hit uh comic timing that's great well that's another thing too I almost find it hilarious um when he's just being the crap out of all of these henchmen and he's obviously a precursor for what Jackie Chan would go on to do because there is something that is just like completely absurd. And humorous about it, even if Bruce Lee could do it in real life, you're thinking to yourself, I mean, if this were reality, there'd probably be some guy who would just like throw a brick at Bruce Lee's face and it would hit him. Mm-hmm. But no, it's it's Bruce Lee and he just like totally waylaid 50 people. And I think that's the absurdity that really connects with me. And I really don't see, going back to the remake, how um, from a modern perspective they could nail that vibe if they were going for it like if they were doing the shot for shot remake you know that you, you were talking about it would just feel plastic yeah you know it just feel well, like cotton candy really,
0: you couldn't really you you'd have to make it a time uh, a, a period piece because that you know there there's guns now there's the combat is is just a different world than it was in 1973 so so now you have a period piece and you're trying to encapsulate all of these elements that were already done once so I'm wondering, too,
1: if they in the remake would have the rickety boats because the rickety boats were so awesome. That was also a great vehicle for the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was the guy's name? The, oh, Parsons. I loved Parsons, the New Zealander.
0: Which one? Oh, the
1: one that yeah, he, got stuck on the boat. The one who was like kicking around the servant on the boat, and then yeah, uh, the art of fighting without fighting. Guy. <laughs> then, then that's another really humorous scene where I think Bruce Lee shines. He's like, "Oh, I can I can show you how to fight without fighting. We'll just go to that island over there." And Parsons, being you know an idiot, gets A into the boat. Just kidding. We love New Zealanders. Something that I forgot to mention is uh, another nationality. Thrown into the mix, which is another Mm -hmm. um, I forgot about kiwi. Which is another thing that you get with a lot of these tournament films is you have people from all over the place. You know, look at Bloodsport. You had Jean Deux, and you know, and the guy from Revenge of the Nerds, yeah, the American uh, Forrest Whitaker. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yes. To be honest, like a lot of people enjoy that film. Ironically, I just love Bloodsport. I don't know how many times I, I like watched that too. when I was a kid. I was
0: going to say it's so nostalgic in my mind. I was talking to one of my one of my uh, best friends, Norm Burns, and he this is one of his favorite movies. And whenever he can't sleep, he always puts it on, and it just makes him feel very warm and fuzzy. And as soon as Bruce Lee gets to the island, he just drifts off to sleep. Is that Enter the Dragon or Bloodsport or both? It's Enter the Dragon. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, but
1: I mean, you know, it's kind of the the equivalent to Bloodsport for you. Well, I, I like as 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 cheesy as it is like i just love bloodsport because it's not horribly pretentious mm-hmm. it's not trying to be an art house flick and uh i guess one thing we really haven't mentioned is um some of the evolution of the martial arts film because what it went from if you're looking at uh enter the dragon as kind of the start of martial arts you know you kind of had some exploitation films that used martial arts in the 70s after Enter the Dragon where it's almost more like a cop who's using martial arts and guns than, you know, films like Bloodsport in the 90s. Obviously, you had Wesley Snipes and Seagal. Uh, but then you had what's termed, you know, wire foo where it's like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon where it's almost uh, in a mythical realm where you have human beings who are uh jumping like oh 50 feet in the air Mm -hmm. delivering these martial arts moves which i'm actually a big fan of both i love crouching tiger hidden dragon i own it i like movies like hero that are a little bit more poetic and the action is a little more sparse and they're focusing on um well something we just talked about, a period piece where they're going back to, um, the earlier days of a certain country, you know, or, you know, they're focusing on samurai and it's like their travels and their hardships. And that doesn't necessarily shine through a whole lot in enter the dragon itself. But I think it gave filmmakers an excuse to focus on those things because it's like, Oh, now we have a foot in the door. Um, I recently watched, obviously not a martial arts film, but going back to Asian cinema in general, uh, I just watched uh, Seven Samurai, and I had never seen it. It's like, now I understand what people are talking about when they said that this was a precursor for so many action films because you have samurai who are this ragtag gang, and they're doing the right thing by defending this village, and... um so many elements from that film I can see were big influences on you know later films like Star Wars or well even like buddy cop films you know because you have the serious master or you could he could be the serious cop then there's like a humorous guy there's one of the samurai who's young like a Luke Skywalker and you know he's um, really timid mm-hmm. and awkward so just looking at um, how Asian cinema has influenced the world and films in general, it's actually something worth checking out in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, and it seems like it's getting more historical, too. And, I mean, it's not always accurate, but even if it's portraying it that way, even if it's telling a story other than just mindless action, like the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I'm okay with because, you know, it's it's unrealistic and it's um, – but – the director uh, i believe ang lee did that one and he's a man with uh very very strong credentials and knows what he's doing and so you know instead of just you know blowing it off and saying no this is this is stupid that's all cgi it's it's telling a story it's it's using that to make a point to you know the movie there's a it's like a play it's like um it's like a ballet i mean cuz that's what a lot of martial arts is, is like a ballet with
1: smashes to the face. So that's one thing that I appreciated about it. Yeah. Outside of the roundhouse kicks and the the nunchuck skills, obviously. Yeah. Because that's was... really what this movie is about. I mean, the the plot, I mean, there is a plot, but it's almost like the plot doesn't the plot matter. is secondary. It's like the plot's a vehicle for a bunch of people getting together to beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. So that's why I obviously mentioned Seven Samurai um, before, uh, came out in the 50s and it was a Japanese film, but if you flash forward, you know, a couple of decades to Enter the Dragon, it's like, oh, this is a, an evolution, you know, and then you fast forward a couple more decades, we can talk about Crouching Tiger, but it's a really interesting um, historical timeline, especially when you consider, once again, something we touched on, how different Asian characters are portrayed, I mean, for... Asian characters in American films sometimes it was the equivalent of how um African American characters and women sometimes were disparaged just like they were a lot of times throwaway comedic characters but it wasn't one of those deals where they were all in on the joke it was like no they were the butt of the joke because mm-hmm. there were horrible stereotypes being perpetuated this Seven Samurai and enter the Dragon we can put them in the same boat. Um, they're both saying no, we're we're proud of our heritage and we're strong people. so this is our statement, which is awesome considering once again that Robert Klaus is an American director and yeah. he he allowed so many influences in there with Jim Kelly obviously being African American and you know Bruce Lee, obviously being Chinese American and at least having one woman beat the crap out of all these different guys right. that's a really cool opportunity. I guess it wasn't, despite the fact that there are, you know, I guess you could say prostitutes in this film. I can't say it's horribly sexist because at the very least, um, the main mistress slash prostitute, Tanya, she seems like she's pretty smart. It's not like she's portrayed as some airhead. Yeah. Even like the, I guess you could say, side prostitutes slash extras, whatever you want to call them. They're just kind of there. They just seem to be young women who like drugs a lot. Uh, it's so like they, they, they probably made bad decisions. Yeah. Like in real life. Yeah, exactly. That just happens. People make bad decisions. Well,
0: the prostitution was part of history at a certain point, too, so. Yeah. Like, while it might be. It's like when Django came out. And people were boycotting it. They're like, Well, I'm not gonna see a movie where they say the N word five hundred times. It's like, Well don't well, read a it's, history
1: book then it's historically accurate. I mean g- right pick up Mark
0: Twain. <laughs> don't don't look at it if you don't want to, but it's it's I mean, it's not uh it's not actually a history book, but uh yeah, history history was a lot worse than
1: Django, so well, I mean, yeah, like a Mark, Mark Twain books. I mean, there's some pretty bad stuff in there. Um it's just like There is a. I can't remember the exact scene, but there is a scene where an African American person dies, and they're just like, "It's just a bad word for that person that died." And the characters all like shrug and walk away. It's just like, "Wow, that's how an entire group of people was treated." That's Mm -hmm. pretty terrible. Yeah, you know. So I I guess that's the thing. Like, uh, there there are parts in films that will make us uncomfortable. Like, that that's the word that makes me feel uncomfortable. But that's the thing. Like, there are some things in films that you almost have to do or you really don't get the statement across. It's like that Catch-22 where you're going to offend a lot of people, but you pretty much have to do some things in order to make the message relevant if the oh, film yeah. does actually have a message.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if if you don't like horror movies, don't watch horror movies. But a lot of times if a movie is able to evoke a certain emotion in you, or even a character is able to make you feel a certain way. If you just despise a character, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's what the director had in mind. Maybe that's what you're supposed to feel. Uh, that they're making it this way. Maybe that's part of what makes film so important. Is if you're able to feel a certain emotion, then I mean, what what better accolade to the director than you made you know 20 billion people cringe?
1: I guess that's uh, from the the different side of the coin. Like with Enter the Dragon even though it's a little bit goofy at times, um, I think it is a pretty empowering film because if you look at um, Bruce Lee's backstory, I mean, he, he had parents who were moderately successful, but he pretty much made his own success, and he started a whole movement. So even though he was gone way too soon, it's great that even before he left, um, unlike well, your average person, he could leave with a defining statement. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, how many people get to do that in life? A lot of people are just like, you know, this guy was good at his job and he was a pretty decent family man, but how many people really um, affect the world like Bruce Lee did? Mm -hmm. The answer is, well, not very many, especially in a positive way. So that's what I feel about this film, that overall it's it's like very uplifting because you have somebody who's like very disciplined and... You could tell he was definitely into the philosophy that he was discussing in the film, even though that's kind of secondary to everything else because it's more about the action. But it it was really great, you know, when I was growing up because I was kind of on a horror kick and I was looking for something different. You know, I kind of uh, knew about enter the dragon i'd seen parts of it you know on cable tv then i watched it i was like completely amazed mm-hmm. you know it, it's just like no matter what you're doing like bruce lee overall is a good figure to use as almost a, a template for success like no matter what you're driving at you know you could always be a little bit better because well just looking at him you he knew he it wasn't just about physical activity but he, I think, practiced martial arts for like hours and hours, and mm-hmm. he also did, you know, like the weightlifting part of it, but it wasn't just about that. He was just always trying to top himself, and that's what I always took away from him as a person, and, you know, Enter the Dragon as a vehicle kind of drives at home. You see this kind of as his unintentional swan song. You know, he didn't direct it, but for him, that was his last statement, Yeah, and it's a really strong that one. That was his Sistine Chapel.
0: Good message, good role model. Also, I love that you said his vehicle to drive him, to drive it home. That was perfect. What? What? That was now good. I'm re- now I'm retiring. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> I can't top that. It is. It is kind of something to be said. We got to go here in a minute, but there is something to be said for his last film being, you know, the one that he ends up being mostly famous for. I think that's cool. Is there anything else? Is there anything else that you'd like to say about Enter the Dragon?
1: No, Enter the Dragon equals no bloodsport man. <laughs> No sport equals my life's not complete. Yeah, I don't think that Frank Du was
0: in uh, Enter the Dragon, which is probably good because they would have kicked, their feet would have met, and then it would have just been an explosion. The universe
1: probably would have exploded or imploded. And then little Chuck Norris heads just come flying out for no reason. Eradicates all of them. He's yeah. a Or Bruce Lee's the only thing left. You talk about you know cockroaches and an atomic bomb. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like yeah. a nuclear yeah. fallout. I mean, if Bruce Lee was still alive, he would probably have survived. He probably is still alive.
0: It. Well, uh, next week, uh Stu, it's his choice. So since he's not here, it's gonna be my choice again. I'm just <laughs> kidding, that'd be so mean. Are we gonna do uh Hashtag just, can you imagine?
1: Hashtag Pauly Shore movie.
0: Hashtag Yep, Stu chose Son in Law. No. Stu chose Dogma, the Kevin Smith uh I'll call it a classic. It's it's probably my my second favorite that he's done.
1: I like that film. So that's what we're gonna do. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. But we do like suggestions. so Yeah, we do. We, we don't do. want to say whether you like it or not. We'd like to do things that you like. So uh, I'm not going to roll out any of the brutal films that I just watched because I really don't know if I can even recommend that people watch them because no. I'm not
0: going to ever watch them again. So. I know. I can't. Some of them Some I've Some films seen, not, just not just like, like yeah. snuff films but I couldn't even, even I don't even want to tell somebody that I enjoyed it because then they might go and watch it and they're like Jimmy yeah. you, need a, you need a young priest and an old priest and I'm, yeah. like, I'm really fine. So yeah five days midnight matinee at the Apollo Theater in Peoria. If you want to go you can. We're not saying that you should we're just saying that you can. We're
1: we'll just saying that We'll cry a lot if you're not there.
0: Yeah, we're emotionally vulnerable right now, so if you don't go, it's we'll, we'll deal with it. But it's gonna take a while. And uh, well, now that now that Stu's gone, I don't know how we're gonna do our movie shows, theater sign off You could we could just have nothing but silence and just shoot rifles into the air. <laughs> I don't want to do it in the studio because. Because they're not going to like that Why don't you do theater and
1: in your best stew voice I don't have a stew voice well, You better get one all what, right. if, what if we just do movie show oh. Well actually it'd be movie theater because stew does show
0: uh, Alright well until Next Tuesday I'm Jimmy Malone I'm
1: Ben Snowden And not Stuart
0: Randolph I'm also not Stuart Randolph And this is movie Show sure, theater Oh, <laughs>